This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers audio experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today, we have another fun-packed show I'm super excited. We're going to be joined very, very shortly with a good friend, David Horn. David is, I've known David for about 18 to 24 months, and uh, uh, we share very similar personal values. I love it. I love it, the fact that David really goes out of his way to help and serve society and people, not just here in the UK, but from people from all over the world. Now, David is also a best selling author. He has a book called, uh, let me just, I think it's Add Them Multiply. Add, yeah, Add Them Multiply. He's the founder of that company. He used to be a former CFO to uh, previous companies, and he's raised a humongous amount of money. I think, I believe, he's going to recorrect me here probably, around 100 million pounds in funding over the last, I don't know, in, in his entire career, which is entirely, which is absolutely insane. What else can I say to you? Yeah, and we've collaborated on a, on a couple of occasions, and uh, he's really gone out of his way and really helped not just you guys that are listening in today, but also if you have any questions around what we're going to be talking about today, which is all about fair funding. So what is today's agenda? What are we going to be talking about today, guys? Well, we're going to be talking about, number one, we're going to be talking about the different avenues when it comes to uh, if you want to grow and scale your business, what are the different avenues that you could actually go down? So we can explore that. Secondly, we're going to be talking a little bit about diversity. What do I mean by diversity? We're going to be talking a little bit about why female entrepreneurs and business owners are not being recognized and not being seen as to get more funding because David's going to give us some really sho uh, shocking, some shocking stats and statistics and is a real big, what we call uh, female power, you know, women entrepreneur type of um, empowerment uh, person in the funding space, which I love. And he's got a project, a social enterprise, which he heads up as well, which is amazing. So if you have any questions around funding, do me a favor, use the comments in the comment section. You can do that in the comment section below. Uh, so without further ado, my good friend, Mr. David Horn. Morning, Adam. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you today? Excellent. I'm very well, thanks. Very well. Excited to be here. Excited, excited, to be, excited for you to be on the show as well. Am I coming in clear, by the way? You're coming in clear every now and then your picture freezes, but you're coming in clear. All good, all good, all good. Well, great to have you on the show. And um, was to say, I know that we're going to be talking about a wide diversity of different topics. Yeah. Um, I know that you're Canadian originally, right? So just, just give a little bit of a background for people that don't know you. I know we've got listeners from all over the world, but you're Canadian and you end up in the UK. Just give us a quick brief background if you could. And, okay. and how you got into the whole kind of uh, yep. funding space. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. Hi, everybody. David Horn. Uh, I was born and raised in Vancouver, um, uh, qualified as a chartered accountant with PwC a long time ago in 1987. Um, I am a fluent German speaker. And I told PwC when I qualified that I wanted to work in a German speaking office. And one day I came into the office and this is this is showing my age now, but there was a telex. For those of you youngsters who don't know what a telex is, Google it. You'll be surprised. Um, there was a telex uh, from Pricewaterhouse in Zurich offering me a job. And so in the summer of 1987, my wife and I packed up. Uh, our, we sold off our few belongings. We'd been married four years, so didn't have much. Uh, packed our clothes into four suitcases, uh, got on board uh, an airplane with one-way tickets and a two-year employment contract. And that was 34 years ago. Um, and ended up staying in Switzerland for six years, two years with PwC. And then I joined a client. Um, worked with them. It was a big blue chip corporate. Worked with them, transferred with them to London in 1993, and have been in London ever since. Um, and stayed in big blue chip corporate world with companies like NCR, AT&T, and the BBC. And then, starting in 2000, I started working with very entrepreneurial businesses, larger entrepreneurial businesses, but um, but still run and led by 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 founders and. 
The first one was a PR agency group. The second one was a, a digital media and publishing group that was listed on AIM, which is the junior market on the London Stock Exchange. And the third one was an online auction business also listed on AIM. And those three businesses had one thing in common, which was that they raised capital and bought other companies. And so I, I became an expert in fundraising and M&A, um, always on the side of the entrepreneurs. I've never worked in an investment bank. I've never been a venture capitalist. I've always worked directly with entrepreneurs. And I left that world in 2010, um, started working with founders of SMEs, getting down into the very much the smaller end of the, of the scale, um, had some interesting things, got involved in a number of startups myself as a founder or co-founder. And uh, then in 2015, I went on an amazing development program that I know Adam's been on as well. Um, and, and that really helped me to cement my thinking and realize kind of the mountain of value that I bring to the world that I wasn't really, I, I hadn't really thought about it in that context. And, and that is that, that so many uh, founders of, of SME businesses don't really understand the world of fundraising, don't really, you know, they think about fundraising and M&A being the stuff that the big boys do. And and that's not the case. And, and in fact, I've written a book about it uh, called Add Then Multiply, like my company. Oh, there we go. Hang on a minute. Oh, there we go. There we go. Make sure you, make sure you get that, guys. Okay. There we go. Dun, 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 dun. Make sure you check that out on Amazon, by the way. Yep. Thank you. And, um, and, and, and basically, since that book came out, I've worked exclusively uh, and do now with, uh, with founders of businesses who are looking to scale through raising funds and uh, acquiring other companies or potentially selling their own business themselves and, and going on and doing other things. Interesting. And, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I know you were talking about M&A. Yeah. Um, but now in the digital arena, especially over the last 18 months, I've, I don't know about you, but my general observation about the M&A um, industry right now is that it's extremely a great opportunity to be in. There's lots of great opportunities to be in. Absolutely. And I'm like, I've got so many friends that have gone into this industry over the last 12 months. And, um, and they're flipping, their, their idea of flipping businesses like property or real estate is insane. And I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. It's, it's kind yeah. of crazy. It is. <laughs> It really is. And, you know, there's all sorts of different routes that you can do. Uh, yeah. I, I tend to focus more on not so much the short term flip, but kind of the longer term. I'm I'm a big Warren Buffett fan. So I like to look at, you know, building long term capital value. Um, but but yeah, there are some amazing opportunities out there. And, and, you know, people don't even think about it. You can you can acquire a competitor to, to scale yourself in your industry. You can you can acquire an upstream supplier to control the supply chain. Um, you can acquire a downstream customer, or you could even acquire a business in a in a, a, a related vertical industry that, you know, where maybe they've got customers that want to use what you've got and you've got customers that want to use what they've got. So you can really in increase the scale of both companies through um, mm. through a transaction like that. So yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a, it's a more advanced strategy. Um, I typically am working with companies that are turning over at least a million pounds because less than that, if you're doing any kind of fundraising, the investors will end up taking control of the business. And True. that's not really right. And, and I think it's better to demonstrate that you can scale your business to a million pounds and, and, and then beyond. But, but then it's a really great way to turbocharge. And in fact, one of the case studies that I write in the book um, I joined, this was the, the digital media business, which was AIM listed. I joined the founder of that. Um, they were turning over 1.1 million. Uh, three years later, they were turning over 27.7. So we tripled the business Same. every year for three years. I hope they give you some good bonuses, by the way, off the back of that. <laughs> 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 apart, from, apart from that dreaded salary, God damn it. Anyway, it's kind of funny. Anyway, it's all good. I, I, in fact, I, I had a, it's interesting because um, we were, <clears throat> I was going to say about the emotional attachment. That's probably the, re is that the reason why you, you focus on over a million? Um, I mean, I mean, the emotional attachment. No, I think I, the reason why I focus on over a million is, is, is really twofold. Uh, number one, when you've breached a million pounds in sales, 
you know you've got something that it really has an opportunity in the marketplace. You know, you can you can go out and launch a business and you know turn over a hundred grand, two hundred grand, and if it's just you, it's a, it's a nice little lifestyle business, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it's not yet a scalable type of thing. Um, to have reached a million pounds, you're typically looking at having a team of anywhere from six to ten people. Um, and, and, you know, you've all of a sudden got people handling sales, you've got people handling operations. It's, it's not just you as the founder, you've got a, you've got a, a, a structure that now has the ability to scale. And as I said before, also, once you've reached that level, you've got a, a certain value in the company. So, you know, if you want, if you wanted to go out and raise say a million pounds to do another big deal, well, yeah. If you're if you're only turning over half a million, it'd be very difficult to justify any significant valuation, and so your investor would end up owning the uh, the vast majority of the business. And and you know that may be the case one day, but you don't want that in your for your first transaction. True, true. Good points. Um, you know, it's interesting because when I um, I suppose even to this day, not me personally, but well, not now anyway. But I used to have real gaps in my knowledge when it came when it comes to fundraising, right? Whether it be, you know, what is so I know that some of our listeners that are listening in, they're all at different points, right? Yeah. Some some of them might have established businesses, maybe already at the seven figure stage. Some of them are already in the six figure stage. Some of them are already in the eight figure stage. But I, I suppose we're all on different journeys. So I yeah. guess my question is, could you just give us a quick overview? about some of the different routes of fundraising and what are the maybe some of the pros and cons of of each one yeah sure so i mean i mean the most the most common thing is most most businesses and this is how most businesses start out it's 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 bootstrapping and that's yep. where you know you as the founder put in your own money and then whatever sales you can generate is what you can invest into the company mm-hmm. and and there are many companies that grow very successfully 100% bootstrapped and and very well done to them um, but if they're looking to the, the, the whole point about raising funding is to accelerate your ability to grow, because, you know, if you think about it, if you're bootstrapping, you might be able to grow your business at 10 or 15 or 20 percent a year, year on year. And, and, and doing that, you're, you're doing well. You unless you're in an incredibly hot sector, you're not going to be looking at how do I triple my business every year for three years? You, you need to have the ability to raise funding and, and, and grow through acquisition there. So the different kinds of funding, um, I'll talk about angels, um, I'll talk about crowdfunding, and I'll mm-hmm. talk about institutional, but, and I'll lump a bunch of things into institutional. So angel okay. investors, angel investors is, is where is traditionally where a lot of early stage businesses go. And angel investors tend to be wealthy people, often people who've had their own business and it's been successful and they've sold it or generated a lot of cash from it. Um, I mean, kind of like the Dragon's Den, but but the the world of angel investing is not like Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den is a reality. <laughs> but you know, just dressed up, have a concept. It's yeah, it's something like that. And and so these are these are are wealthy individuals who've built businesses themselves um, and have typically have sold out and are are looking to do something to help people. Um, but they're also looking to do something to to grow their money. So then, you know, it's not charity, it's not philanthropy, it's business. Um, but they are experienced business people who are looking to help businesses that you know either they you know fit their sector, uh, you know they can open up their little black book, introduce contacts, uh, things like that, um, and 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 kind of an early stage. The other the other thing that's early stage that is really, really growing in popularity over the last kind of 10 years is crowdfunding. Um, mm. It's very well established in the UK. It's very well established in North America. It's getting more established in Australia. Uh, other countries around the world, I'm not sure where it is on that development curve, but it's it's definitely coming forward. And, and part of the challenge with that has been um, from a regulatory perspective, because, uh, hi, Sarah, um, because uh, um, the whole financial fundraising system has historically been designed to protect consumers from, from uh uh, you know, l- less scrupulous people who are who are going out and trying to take their money. 
And, and, and so the system was very rigidly structured and, and, and rightly so. But it came to the point where, you know, I could be down at the pub having a beer with my mates telling them about my new business venture. And one of them might say, oh, I'll put 20 grand into that. And technically I would be breaking the law if I received that money from that person. Really? Because, yes, yes, technically. Wow. Wow. Because they either they weren't or you weren't um, going through the process of being a um, authorized person under the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK. Ah, now, I see, I see. it still happened. It still continues to happen. But technically, you're breaking the law. What the crowdfunding companies have done is they have created a platform and they have worked very hard with the regulators to enable regular ordinary people to come in and put money into SME businesses. And they've mm. actually established a new threshold. So, so the, the, the criteria, the, and, and, and this is a very UK focused thing, so apologies to the international uh, community, <laughs> but, but it, there will be similar, I know there are similar things in North America. I know there are similar things in Australia where there are different levels of investor. And so there's, there's a thing called a, uh, a high net worth investor. And mm -hmm. you're allowed to raise money from high net worth investors. And that's someone who earns more than 100 grand or has more than 250,000 in assets outside their home and pension. Um, or a sophisticated investor. And a sophisticated investor is someone who is part of an angel syndicate or works in the investment industry. Or, and this is an interesting one, in the UK, if you're a director of a company that turns over at least a million pounds, then you are considered to be a sophisticated investor. But if you're not, then you can't make these investments. And so what the crowdfunding community has done is created another layer, which is called an everyday investor. And these people are allowed to put money into these companies, but there are certain limits. They're not, I think they're not allowed to put in more than 10% of their income. Uh, and it's all a self-certification process, but it's just designed to protect them, but equally to enable them to participate in, in small companies. And so the main the main equity crowdfunding sites in the UK are are uh, Crowdcube and uh, Cedars. Um, yep. for, for your listeners around the world, just uh, just go on to Google and type in equity crowdfunding near me, um, mm -hmm. and and you'll get whatever the ones are in 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 your country. Um, but but crowdfunding is a really cool concept because it enables you to raise money from a wide community of people. Yeah, and I think what what I love about crowdfunding is that. It can really, um, it can really um, spread your message, you know, much further than you want it to be. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. conventional ways of, you know, going out to the media and doing a press release and stuff. You, you can do those things, but really, with crowdfunding, you know, when someone makes a donation, normally it like spreads within their network, like a bit like a virus. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, you know, everyone yeah. knows about it type of thing. Yeah. Um, now, 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 now you just now you just mentioned a very good thing there, Adam. So you said when someone gives a donation, um, you, there is donation-based crowdfunding where basically I'm going out seeking money and people give money. I might there might be a reward or something. But the other one that I was talking about, which is Crowdcube and Cedars, is equity crowdfunding, where you're actually selling stakes in, in your company. Selling uh, stakes, yeah. And, people are, and so people are investors. People will become shareholders in your business. Interesting. Very interesting. So those are the two entry-level ones. And then, yeah. and then institutional investors, this is, where, this is where firms are bringing in money from other institutions and professionally managing it so this is venture capital family offices private equity um, all of those types of things and 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 so there will be professional managers collating that money and then investing it on behalf of their investors um, mm -hmm. and you know venture capital is probably the one that that most people will have, have heard of or be aware mm -hmm. of if, if if they're interested in this space and so so venture capitalists i mean it's, it's interesting, the, 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 the venture capital model has evolved and developed over years, but right now it's, it's a fascinating arena, but they are absolutely focused on where's the next unicorn. A unicorn is a company <laughs> that, that can have a, a valuation of a billion dollars. Now there are only 862 unicorns in the world today. So mm. they're fairly rare beasts, 
But yeah. these guys are totally focused on finding the next one. Because if you think about it, let's say I raise a fund of 100 million mm -hmm. and I'm going to invest a million into 100 different companies. And it's, it's kind of spray and pray. It's, it's, an, it's a, an educated spray and pray, but it is kind of True. a spray and pray. Because out of those 100 companies, I know that 10 or 15 of them are going to go bust. 80 of them are going to go nowhere. Some of them will take off. And, and if I get lucky, I might have invested in a Google or a Facebook or a Tesla. Mm. And that one is going to absolutely shoot the moon. And it's going to pay back the fund. And it's going to provide a return for everyone. And it's going to pay all of the costs of, the, of the, the running the venture capital business. So yeah. that's, that's the model. The, it works. And as long as you find that big one, it's a very, very lucrative model. Um, where it falls over is if your business doesn't have the potential or isn't looking like or you as the founder aren't saying this is going to become a unicorn, these guys aren't interested. No. And, and that's where the whole funding focus side of things comes in, because there are a huge number of really good quality businesses. Many of them are run by women or underrepresented mm -hmm. Uh, entrepreneurs of every gender, so racial minorities, different sexual orientation, whatever. Literally, uh, you know, and, and again, this is this is the thing. It's 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 almost like there are there are two playing fields. One is if you're a white man like Adam and I are. Um, <laughs> one if you're everybody else. Yeah, and, we'll talk and, about that actually because that that's interesting. And I know we had some very interesting discussions the other day in our Game Changers Inner Circle group. And um, yeah. I, I never even knew what that was. But we'll, talk, we'll share that with the listeners, if that's okay. We just ne had a neither, question. Neither did I, Adam, two years ago, or about well, three years ago before, before yeah. I discovered it. That's insane. So yeah. uh, Daniel Tahini, who's on uh, LinkedIn, uh, said, uh, good to hear from you both. Why fundraising and not IPO? Um, oh, great question. That great question, isn't yeah, it? Sure. So, so IPO is initial public offering, which is when you list a company <laughs> on the stock exchange. Um, and the main reason, I mean, I mean, IPO is also a form of fundraising. Yeah. Um, I didn't mention it because for many companies, for many people, they're not sure. You know, that that's kind of the ultimate step: listing your company yeah. on the stock exchange. Yeah. Um, so, um, I guess the main reason I didn't talk about it was because for many people, it it's just it's out there. I actually I do talk about IPO in my book um, yeah. as as one of the options. Um, and and it's absolutely a route that you can go down. Um, it's expensive. Um, the cost of an IPO on the main market of the London Stock Exchange is now including all the fees you pay to bankers, to lawyers, to reporting accountants, your non-exec directors, all of those things. You're looking at probably four or five hundred thousand pounds um, wow to, to 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 properly launch a business so it's it's yeah it's a big deal but look if you've got a business that's turning over 25 30 40 million and you know you can scale it significantly then an ipo is absolutely an, a fantastic route to go down is uh with regards to ipo is there a is there a like um how do you know from your perspective when is the right time to go to ipo is it a certain amount of turnover? Is it the growth uh, year on year? Uh, I mean, obviously, you've got to have sustainable results over a thick period of time and a track record. You wouldn't yeah. just like launch a business and then two years later, you think, oh, my God, I got to go up you. No, you're not. Um, yeah, no, it's all of the above. It's, 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 okay. it's, I mean, there's a whole set of criteria. Typically, I mean, typically, if you're looking at raising uh, uh, launching an IPO, you want to be able to justify a market value of your business of at least 50 million um, simply because of, you know, be, because it's, it's cheaper, it's cheaper to seek private funding uh, than public funding at that uh, below that level. Um, the, one of the, one of the great things about IPO and, and as, as I said, I mean, I was, I was the CFO of, of two companies listed on aim for eight years and, pardon me, for eight years in total. So I understand completely, you know, life in the public markets. Mm. Um, and, and the great thing about being listed is you have access to phenomenally deep pockets of capital. 
Um, and, you know, as you said at the very beginning, Adam, I, I've, I've raised over 100 million pounds in my career. Most of that was through the stock exchange. Um, yep. I'd Very say good. about Very good. 10 to 15 percent was was privately um, and the rest of it was through the stock exchange. Yeah. Very cool. Love it. Very good. So, Daniel, I hope that answered your question, by the way. Uh, great question. And uh, and uh, it's a good one. We like that. Very cool. Now, I know that um, you've also got a, another what I call separate business, which is a social enterprise, which is all about yes. helping female entrepreneurs specifically or business owners um in helping them to uh be more rec recognized i think the word is and because uh tell us about this shocking statistic about raising capital and investment because our listeners are going to be really shocked about this when i heard about this two days ago, i'm like oh but yeah. tell us more about that and how did you what's the what, what was the reason why you decided to kind of move into um that arena so I was I was speaking at an event a couple of years ago. Uh, it's a, it was an SME event and I was talking about fundraising. And after my talk, um, a woman came up and asked why so little funding went to female entrepreneurs. And I had no idea that this was an issue. But I said, I said, I don't know, but I'll find out. And um, as it happens, I had a meeting in the diary the following week with the chief executive of the British Business Bank. She and yeah. I had met at a, a networking function. And this was just a, a follow up. A follow up back back in the days when you used to meet people at events and then and then meet them in their offices. And um, uh, so 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 we met and had a lovely conversation. And towards the end, I thought I'll, I'll just ask her, you know, what is what it, does she know anything about this story? And she smiled and reached down to the bottom drawer of her desk and pulled out a bound research report called UK VC and female founders. And it's a report that was commissioned by the British government. Um, and carried out uh, during the latter stages of 2018, they looked at every venture capital deal in the UK in 2017. And they found that all female teams submitted 5% of the pitch decks and got less than 1% of the money. Wow. Mixed gender teams submitted 10% of the pitch decks and got, sorry, submitted 20% of the pitch decks and got 10% of the money. And all yeah. male teams submitted 75% of the decks and got 89% of the money. So there's already this huge skew. And I was just, I mean, I was blown away when I read the read into the detail behind this. And, and, and then I started researching and very similar statistics coming out of North America. In, in the United States, um, all female teams were getting less than 2% of funding. Uh, there was a report that came out last year in the third quarter of last year when the venture capital industry grew the share of funding that went to female teams declined by 30 percent. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, it's it's the same thing around the world. And and so I I then put on an event at the at the London Stock Exchange um, in November of 2019. And and that's where I discovered that not only was this an issue that impacts women, uh, but it also impacts um, underrepresented people. Um, so whether that's mm. racial minorities or whatever. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've spoken with with founders who are black or Asian um, and, and they face exactly the same challenges. And it's it's partly it's partly a case of unconscious bias and it's partly a case of most of the venture capital industry is white men and guess where they went to university? Oxford, Cambridge, London School <laughs> of Economics. Or if you're in the US, where did they go to university? Harvard, Harvard. Stanford, MIT, yeah. Yale. And it's just, it's this, you know, we have this little camp community and hey, you look like me and you went to the same school, so I'm gonna invest in you. That's crazy, that's crazy, honestly. And yet, um, and yet there, I'm just going to jump in with one. There was a study produced by uh, Boston Consulting Group, so a big, global, reputable yeah. firm. And they looked at a whole bunch of deals in the United States, and they found out that female-led teams generated 2.5 times as much revenue per dollar invested as male-led teams. 2.5 times as much. You know, that's and, not a little discrepancy. That's big. It's, it's interesting as well, because I think now – Here's an interesting stat and statistic, and I know about this because I worked in this space myself. Um, the other stats and statistics is, is that if you have female uh, leaders within your senior management team, 
uh, and that generally is within the generally the Fortune 500 companies. Those companies will generally will absolutely smash all the previous 501 competitor 500. They will smash it. The reason yep. being is because they have the female entrepreneur, uh, female you know people in the senior management team. And so they've got yep. those stats and statistics, but yet there's this kind of gap between funding and which I find completely bewildered more than anything else. I mean, what, it's, what do you think? It's bonkers. It really is. It's bonkers. And, and you know, I, I, again, part of the part of the problem is the fact that the venture cap. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that the venture capital model is broken. It's not broken. It works perfectly fine if you fit yeah. it. But if you yeah. don't fit it, it's 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 a, a huge uphill battle. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, so we're going to come back. To I'm that. working. I'm working with a number of partners around the world on different ideas and things that we can do about this. So, yeah, watch this space. Watch this space and see what happens. Well, yeah. definitely, we're going to come back to that. Daniel says, uh, "Thanks so much for the elaborated response." Pleasure, Daniel. Very cool. And yes, they are indeed shocking stats in this day and age. One hundred percent, I agree with you, Sarah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, very good. All right. So um, what was I going to say to you? I, I wanted to ask you a, a particular question, which was all about, um, I, I know that you've been in the world of um, working in the world of finance and, and working with businesses for, for quite a number of years. Yep. And I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the common mistakes that these guys make, because I know from, from an, I'm, I feel like an educated man, but I honestly knew nothing about, you know, I, the whole kind of thing, to, uh, I used to think to myself, oh, I want to hold 100% of my, I, I, it's my business. It's like kind of pinky in the brain type of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like pinky in the brain. It's like, um, it's, it's mine type of thing. And this kind of whole kind of scarcity mindset, I'm going to call it scarcity mindset. I don't know if it is the right word, but scarcity yeah. mindset of, oh, I've got to give my company away and it's my company type of thing. Do you know what I mean? Um, but what, I don't know. I mean, I mean, do you find that those are some, uh, some of the common mistakes, uh, any other sort of common mistakes that off the top of your head, apart from the one that I've thought of? I mean, I mean, that's probably the most common one. And my response to people on that is if that's really, really, really important to you, that's OK. Yeah. Keep 100 percent control, but accept mm. the consequence that you're going to be limited in your ability to grow by whatever money you can put in and whatever money you can generate through revenue. And you might be able to get some loans and things as you grow, but loans you have to pay back and all that. But if you're, if you're a little more open-minded and I, I always urge people to try and think a little more open-minded. And again, I, I go into this in some detail in the book. Yeah. Um, but if you let's, let's just take an example. And, 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 and this is an example in the book. So, so, so your listeners can, can read about it in more detail. But let's say you own a business that's worth, um, let's say you own a business that's worth three million, and okay. you find an investor who's going to invest two million into the company. So now the business is worth five million because it, it was already worth three million, and you've got two million in cash. And that so that person now holds a forty percent stake in the company, and your stake in the company is sixty percent. 60% yeah. of 5 million is 3 million. So you haven't lost anything. You're still oh. the largest shareholder, but you now have another shareholder. You'll have a, another director. You'll have another person involved in the company. They're going to ask questions. They're going to have opinions on the strategic direction. And so it's important that you, as you're going through the fundraising process, that you make sure that you're, you're aligned on these things. Mm -hmm. But let's say, so let's say you've done that. Now let's say you're a, you're a tech business and, you're now at the stage where you need to hire in a really good chief technology officer, CTO. Mm -hmm. And yeah. in order to attract them in, you offer them stock options. And stock options okay. are, um, it's a thing where it's, a, it's, a, it's the right, but not the obligation to acquire shares in the company at a future date, at a fixed price set today, based on the achievement of certain criteria. So that's a big mouthful. So let, let me just set it up. Let's say, <laughs> let's say today the share price is a pound yep. or a dollar. Let's say a dollar. We'll do, we'll do dollars. And then it just for your international audience, because everybody knows the, the exchange rate between whatever their currency is and the dollar. So, so let's say your share price is a dollar. 
So you hire yep. in the CTO and you say you have the right but not the obligation to buy shares for a dollar at a date three years in the future, say. But you have to have delivered this piece of technology and we have to have grown the size of the company to $10 million in revenue and you have to still be employed by the company. If you meet those three conditions in three years time, the company is going to be worth a lot more than a dollar a share, but you have the right to buy shares for a dollar. Okay, so let's say you you offer options worth 5%. So both you and your share and your investor have now been diluted by 5%. So you had 60. So you lose 5% of that, which is three. So you're down to 57. Your mm-hmm. investor had 40. They're down to 38. Yep. And your CTO has five. But now let's fast forward five years and the company is worth 50 million. You've got 57% of it. 57% of 50 million is 28 and a half million. So you started out with 3 million and having 100% control. And all of a sudden you've got 28 million. I mean, that's, that's, that's nearly 10x. And your investor came in and invested 2 million and they're getting a huge return. They're getting uh, 38%, uh, 7.5 <laughs> million. Yeah, and, and, and your CTO is coming in and he's getting 2.5. So, so everybody's won. And, and the whole yep. idea is you can own 100% of this little pie or you yep. can own a smaller stake of a pie. And sorry, I, I got to keep my hands in the screen. The pie <laughs> is big. You know, what's, what's, worth, what's worth more? Owning 100% of a pie that's worth 3 million or owning 57% of a pie that's worth 50 million. You do the maths. You know, I, I think one of the reasons why it's not just the emotional attachments with regards to, to, to our conversation, but it's also risk, you know, and, and I suppose it's all down to, you know, you, you know, I, I don't know about you. If I was to bring an investor in my business, there's got to be this kind of connection and, and relationship. I've got to really believe that I trust this person more than anything else. So what, what, what do you think? Uh, it, what's your take on that? Yeah, bringing in an investor is 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 the business context of getting married. Um, <laughs> don't you know? Don't 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 meet someone and rush off to Las Vegas and tie the hitch. Uh, take your time, get to know them. Um, you know, if if you're getting into discussions with someone about investing in your company, get to know who they are. Uh, ask them difficult questions. You know, ask them questions. What what about you know? Any business that's going to go through a period of growth is going to hit some bumps in the road. How are they going to respond to that? So, you know, ask them, tell them, hey, look, we've got these plans. And, you know, our year five plan is to get to a, a sales revenue of 40 million. Um, mm. You know, wh- wh- what if we only hit 32? How are you going to respond? You know, are you going to be mm. mad? Are you going to tell me I've got to fire people to reduce costs? Or, or are you going to say, mm. hey, we hit a bump in the road, but we're still on the growth trajectory. Let's keep going. And you need yep. to you need to tease out those kind of things. Yep. Um, Especially, especially if you go down the institutional route with venture capital uh, and things like that, because those guys uh, and, and again, look, it's their model. It works. I'm not criticizing it. But as soon as something goes wrong, those guys are all over you like a rash. Good, good, good to know. I, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 this is really good information, by the way, because. I mean, we, we, we haven't talked about it and we and none of our listeners know, but I'm working on saying in secret, but it's all good. You'll know about this, guys. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's no problem. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about how is it. So if we are <clears throat> for a business owner, or entrepreneur, uh, whatever, whatever the situation, circumstances and we're looking. OK, so I've made the decision. I want to I want to raise funding for my business. Right. I'm going to you know, jump into the deep end and just do it, right? I've yep. procrastinated for too many years. So my question really is, what are um, what advice would you give to those individuals about how I could increase my chances of raising funding in the first place? Because I'm sure that's the million-dollar question. I would say the first thing you should do is in your community of friends, your network, your your business contacts, is there anyone else who's already done that? And Mm. take them out for lunch or dinner and say, hey, 
I'm thinking of doing what you've done. And I'd just love to pick your brains and learn about your experience and, and, you know, what's it been like, what's been good, what's been bad, what's been ugly. So if you can get that kind of input from, from a few people who've been there and done it, you will go into that next round with your eyes wide open mm. and, and you'll really have that knowledge. If you don't have anyone in that community, um, buy my book and read about it. Um, <laughs> you know, reach, out, reach out to me, have a conversation. Um, I can put you in touch with other people who might have been through that. Um, you know, uh, yeah, just go into it really with your eyes wide open because for a lot of people, it's an area that they don't know much about. And it's an area that if you get it wrong, it can be really, really nasty. Um, I've, I've seen companies go in and, and rush, the rela- rush the relationship side of thing because they wanted the money. And all of a sudden, a couple of years down the line and things have changed and the market's moved on. And all of a sudden, you know, these were our projections and they're not happening because the market's changed and this is what we're doing. And every board meeting becomes a battle. And yeah. it's just, you know, it's it's emotionally draining and it's it's a pain because the whole idea is you want someone who buys into the business and you as the founder and your team and where you want to take it and you want to call on them for their support. You don't mm-hmm. want to get into a situation where the first bump that you hit in the road, well, hang on a minute, that's no good and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. You know, you've, you've, you've got to be able to take the time. So like, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's the business equivalent of getting married. So, you know, I mean, go on a couple of dates, flirt, see what is, you know, do, do you like each other? You know, would you introduce this person to your parents? Um, I'm not saying you have to, but, <laughs> um, you know, and, and just, just take it slowly. Have, have, yeah. have a series of meetings, have conversations, meet them over dinner, uh, yep. you know, go, go away overnight with them and, you know, go, go, go on a, you know, go on a weekend, get to know these people because, yep. you know, if, if they're going to be putting serious amounts of cash into, into your company and having a say in its strategic direction and, you know, probably having a seat on the board and there'll be a shareholders agreement that sets out where you, you know, you're allowed to do certain things on your own, but there are going to be things that you have to get their agreement on. Yep. Um, so take the time and build that relationship. Good, good. Some great points there. Some really good points. And I think that you're absolutely right. I think too many people try to rush through the process um, because they get too, um, I suppose they get too uh, emotionally attached to, 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 to what could potentially be. They get too excited by what could potentially be. But really, it's like you said, if you don't let time um sure and, and and you know you don't do your due diligence which is super important which we haven't talked about yet but if you don't do your yeah. due diligence and stuff like that um yeah. you know you're gonna you're gonna come unstuck which is which is a good point um exactly. is there anything else that is there anything else when it comes to um you know relationships uh, I, I was going to ask you actually you know we were having a conversation on when was it uh on it was on clubhouse actually the other day and we were talking a little bit about the different not not the different forms of funding, but we were one of the questions was, is when is it right to have a pitch deck? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that are thinking, oh yeah, I need to have funding. I need to have like a 50 page business plan. I need to have a pitch deck. I don't know what to do. Overwhelm, overwhelm. I'm going to go back to doing what I normally do. Any advice for people like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, take it gradually. Um, again, reach out to people in your community. Um, if you've got a, you know, if you've got a friend or a, or a, or a, a colleague who's who's done this before, mm-hmm. get their perspective mm-hmm. on it. Um, it's it's you can start the conversation without a pitch deck, but cool. you know, and and and. Uh, Again, uh, through 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 this uh, other program that Adam and I both know well, uh, one of the mantras from that group is you get what you pitch for and you're always pitching. True. True. Um, and so so stop and think, what is it that you're pitching for? So let's say let's take an example. You're a founder and you're starting to think about fundraising and you go to a networking event with business angels. You don't need to have a 50 page business plan ready for that. You don't need to have a 20 slide deck ready for that. You're at a networking event. You need to have a 30 or 40 second pitch that tells succinctly 
this is me, this is my business, this is what we're looking for. Can we arrange a meeting and I'll take you through more detail? And literally that's it, that's, that's your pitch for that networking event. Yep. Then when you go to the next meeting, you might wanna have a slide deck ready that you can take that person through because you're gonna be meeting them on, you know, on, on Zoom or Teams or whatever. Um, yep. Or you know, increasingly again, we're, we're getting back to some face-to-face -face stuff. Um, yep. So you're gonna wanna have something that's gonna guide them through a conversation. But what you're looking at there is saying, hey, we met at a networking function and I gave you my 30 second spiel and you said you were interested. I now have 30 minutes to see if I can get you interested to, for you to go away and think, hey, I might be interested in investing in this business. And so you might have a pitch deck, but but don't overdo it. This is yep. the first of a call. So, you know, go in and have a, a 10, 15 slide deck that you can that you can give the person or leave behind. Um, yeah. that, that sets out in a little more detail what mm. it's going to look like. And then let them take that and digest it. And then they might say, OK, let's now have a half day meeting. Mm. And, and, you know, and then it goes through it goes through like that. And, and, and at each step, you're giving them more information. Yeah. But you've got to take it step by step. You, you, you don't go you don't go into the networking session and say, hi, I'm David. I'm looking for 50 million pounds. Do you want to invest in my company? <laughs> it's a bit like hey do you want to get married now exactly <laughs> exactly yeah, you're absolutely spot you know it's interesting because i just see so many people making the same mistakes right because they're um it becomes about them and their ego and you know and and like i say this over and time and time again trust is the number one currency especially in the digital world especially as like less face-to-face -face meetings are out there, but trust, it doesn't matter if it were digital or non-digital arena, you've got to build that. You need that time, don't you, David, to build that trust over a period of time to really get to know that person. And if you, you, and you can really, really get a gut instinct to see if they're actually wasting your time or not, or they really do have a genuine interest in what you've got to offer. What do you think? A hundred percent. And again, that, that whole, you know, that whole time wasting thing or time in whatever you want to look uh, uh, again, one of the issues, one of the, one of the big issues with the venture capital model and with the explosion of companies that are starting up yeah. is that the venture capital firms get inundated with people saying, Hey, look at my amazing business. I'm going to send in a pitch deck. And, you know, depending on which firm you're looking at, they, they might get a hundred a day. I mean, I was talking to someone recently and this is someone who works on IPOs. So coming back to, um, was it Daniel's question? Yeah. Um, so, so this is someone who works advising companies on IPOs and he says he currently has a backlog of 70 companies that all potentially could fit the model, but they're mm. all just all of a sudden piling in. And, and, and so what happens in these firms, and, you know, you could say it's right or it's wrong, it's fair or it's unfair. I'm not going to make a value judgment. This is simply what it is. In those firms, if you have a relationship with someone or can get introduced to someone, and then you can have a direct contact with that person in the firm, if they're a decision maker or a senior player, then you've got a good chance. If you're an unknown person and you log on to their website and it says, are you an entrepreneur? Fill in this type form, upload your deck here. And the reality is that type form and pitch deck is going to go to the most junior newest recruit into the firm. And they're going to have a checklist and they've got 70 a day of these things to go through. So on the first pass, you're lucky if you're going to get 30 seconds of their attention. Yeah. And, and out of the 70 that go through, Maybe seven will merit another look and then they get five minutes. Yep. And, and then they'll say, OK, out of today's 70, here's the one that's worth me putting forward in front of my boss. Interesting. So they'll, so, have, their, they'll have their trash can right by their office and then they'll be playing basketball. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, if, if you're if you're serious about going down the venture capital route, do your homework. Find out who the people are, use your LinkedIn, use your social networks. You know, mm. I mean, in, in I, I once saw a, a, a famous I can't remember which one, but it was one of the famous big U.S. venture capitalists, whether it was Peter Thiel or Mark Andreessen. I don't know. Anyway, it was one of the 
one of the big, big gurus in, in the world. And he said, if you can't network your way into a venture capital firm, then why should I be even interested in you? You know, that, 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 that tells me you don't have the hustle that, that, that I want. So exactly. take your time, research the firms. Don't, again, don't spray and pray. Don't, you know, don't say, hey, I've got this amazing new idea and I'm going to send it to 500 VC firms because nothing's going to happen. VC yep. firms tend to be very specialized. This one will invest in biotech. This one will invest in fintech. This one will invest in, uh, in healthcare, whatever. Find out what they specialize in. Look at the portfolio companies that they've listed on their, on their website. Reach out to the owners of those portfolio companies. Ask them about them. You know, maybe you can, if you can get an introduction from someone who works at a company that that VC has already invested in, that's like gold dust. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's one question that really cropped into my head as you were talking. And the one question that I think that a lot of listeners are going to be really intrigued about um, is talking about valuation. Yep. So if I, I mean, we either build a business to either exit. Ideally, that's probably the ideal strategy is to exit somewhere down the line, wherever, however long that takes us. But that's generally what the consensus is. Um, or we want to hold it and sit on the, you know, the uh, on the board of directors and let someone else run the business or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, depends on what the strategy is, of course. But I guess my question is, how do we increase the valuation of our companies? What is it that investors are looking for to not only yet for you when it comes to the exit strategy, yep. you know, what are the things that we need to put in place and say, okay, well, I need, uh, here's my checklist. These are the things I, I need to make sure that I've got in place. So when I'm ready to exit in say five or 10 years time, yep. I'm ready to rock and roll. Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, first up, every entrepreneur thinks their business is worth a lot more than the market thinks it's worth. <laughs> so just, 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 you know, reality bites. Reality bites. So I, I, I meet people who come to me and say, yeah, my business is worth 25 million. Oh yeah. Tell me a little bit more about it. Well, you know, we've got, <laughs> we've got a million in revenue and we made a profit of 26,000 last year, but, but you know, Tesla's on a multiple of a thousand times earnings. So I should be too. Uh, okay. There we are. So yeah, just, you know, be, be, be prepared to ha have people come back and say, no, your business is not worth that. Um, yeah. Typically, the ways to maximize the valuation of your business, um, you want to show growing revenues year on year over a period of time. You want to show yep. strong and growing profitability. You want to show cash generation. Those are the kinds of things that investors look for because... In reality, what is a business worth today? It's worth the stream of cash that I'm going to get for it in the future. If sure. I'm going to buy 100% of a business, how much money am I going to be making over that time in the future? And, and I'm a big, mm. big fan of Warren Buffett. Um, and one of my favorite Buffettism uh, <laughs> is, is um, I would far rather buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. Yeah, I would rather buy a wonderful company at a fair price. I'm happy to pay the fair price in the market for an amazing yes. business. Sure. I don't really care about a business that might be okay, but it might not be, but wow, it's cheap. It's cheap for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and, and, and again, and, 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 different philosophies. I know people in the M&A space who talk about going out and buying companies for no money down and, and all that. That's because those companies aren't worth anything. And, and you're going to go in, if, if you're a specialist in turnaround or something like that, then you can do really, really well. But if you're yeah. not, if you've never done turnaround before, it's hard work. You've got to make really tough decisions. Yeah. And I would rather go out and say, hey, I've got this amazing business. I need to raise some money to buy it but I can show my investor that buying this business is going to be really smart because here's their track record and here's their trajectory. And let's focus on doing that. And I, I believe that there is a lot more value to be gained through going down that route than going out and thinking, Oh, well, here's a business that's failing. So I can, I can buy it for a dollar and I'll fix it. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's failing for a reason. It's a bit like kind of, uh, when, uh, 
some of the department stores, you know, they sold pretty much because they had so much debt. They were they sold the company for a quid because that was that was yeah. a very minimum amount of money that it was. But you would have to clear the debt of like, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 million quid. I'm like, exactly. OK, exactly. <laughs> there's the incentive. Exactly. Yeah, Warren um, Buffett. Rever Warren Buffett refers to it, to it as cigar butt investing. Imagine you're walking down the street. And this is this is, this would only appeal if you like cigars. But imagine you're walking down the street and you see a cigar butt on the ground and it's still kind of smoldering a little bit, but it's kind of gnarly and then there's only a yeah, little yeah. stub left. You can pick it up and have a puff or two, but wouldn't you rather have a new cigar? Yeah. Exactly. And if you're not a Very cigar smoker, the whole thing's disgusting anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just wanted, I just, I was there. That wasn't a good example for me because I'm like, I'm an anti-smoker anyway. But anyway, that's all good. It's no problem at all. Anyway, um, final question because I'm conscious of time anyway. Um, yep. I know that you're doing some stuff in the, um, what was I going to say, uh, in helping kind of female entrepreneurs and helping them to become more recognized in the capital, raising capital yes. space and whatever it is. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing in that space and uh, and maybe what, what how can our listeners support your cause wonderful okay so um how can your listeners support our cause um so that business is called funding focus we are running our third annual event on the 23rd of november this year i think adam i've sent you a link to that event if i haven't i will um, and we can put that in the in the chat or the show notes or people can reach out to me. Um, it's, 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 it's an online event running on the 23rd of November from 2 until 6 p.m. And the format of these events is we have a number of, of uh, female and underrepresented male uh, founders come in and tell their story. People, these are people who have successfully raised money. And they're coming in and telling their story. And the whole idea behind these events is to provide some inspiration and, and a sense of hope. And, hey, if that guy's done it or if that lady's done it, there's a chance that I can do it and I can learn from them and I can see where, where they've done it. And we've, we've now got a global audience uh, for that. At last count, um, we've had people attending our, our events from... 27 countries on six continents so wow. if you have any if you have any listeners in antarctica please sign up that's the, <laughs> one, that's the one continent we're not at um well, but no yeah so 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 come to our event uh we also do um an introductory training program which is a, a six week online it's two hours a week for six weeks um just gives you a, a a good introduction and overview of the fundraising process and then if you want help beyond that then then we can have a separate conversation about about working with you on 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 assisting you in in, in the fundraising process. Um, so yeah, if anybody's interested, reach out to me. Our website is funding-focus.com. Um, it's currently being redesigned. I'm hopeful that the new site will be up in the next couple of weeks because um, the old site is actually about last year's conference. Ah, no worries. Well, listen, uh, we'll put that. Uh, we'll put those details in the chat in the chat box below, and uh, make sure that people are have the opportunity to, be able to contact you and uh, yep. uh without you of course and stuff so um yeah this has been a great conversation uh it's just Thank you. flown by it's absolutely flown yeah. by so um listen guys hope that you've enjoyed uh myself and 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 uh, my guest today david horn uh if you do have any questions feel free to reach out to david on his social media channels and you can do so by clicking on any of the links below and uh, just mentioned the game changes audio experience you and you know he'll put two and two together and whatever it is and uh and he'll respond in due kind and uh, make sure that also uh check out uh, david's book obviously add the multiply amazon uh it's uh, on amazon all, all good book record stores and things like that so make sure you check that out whatever it is um just want to say thanks very much to david appreciate your time thank today, you buddy really enjoyed it cool very cool so, guys, listen, hope you enjoyed today's show. If you have enjoyed today's show, do me a favor. Give us a one, a five, or a three, whatever star review that you feel would be worthy of this particular show and also some of the other previous shows that we've had here as well. Thank you very, very much for today, and we'll see you again on the next Game Changers audio experience. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Hey guys, I just wanted to get your attention because on October the 20th, we have the brand new book, 
play the game how to win in today's ever-changing environment featuring myself uh, along with 17 other co-authors who are up-and-coming leaders uh, and they speak about different things from franchising branding through to adversity I mean honestly the strategies and and stories in there are absolutely immense Uh, it has been endorsed by Marshall Goldsmith who is the uh, only two thinkers 50 and number one executive coach in the world and uh, we have for a very limited time only, for 99 pence or 99 cents, you can download the Kindle version. We want to make this an international bestseller and get it out to as many people around the world. Honestly, it will blow your socks off. Uh, if you don't fancy the Kindle version, then no worries. Get the public paperback version as well um, and make sure that you click on the link below and help us, make a, help us to become an international bestseller. Some of the content is just going to absolutely blow your way. Anyway, Good luck and happy reading. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.